0: Today's reading is uh, Mark 2, 1-12, New King James Version. And again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together, so that there was no longer room to receive them. Not even near the door, and he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near Him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where He was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, Arise, take up your bed and walk but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this.
1: Thanks, Dwayne. Yep. So, when Jesus saw, that's what we're going to talk about, but you've probably heard it said that it's hard to remember that the objective was to drain the swamp when you're up here. Your, I think it was elbows in uh, alligators. Isn't that how it goes? Or something like this. Uh, just remember to keep the main thing the main thing. Remember that the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. I mean, the number one thing, what's most important? So I thought, well, we'll talk about what Jesus saw. I mean, it's a new year. Maybe we should see things the way Jesus saw things. So I came up with a few questions. They should show up here. Do we see what Jesus sees? Are our hearts in tune with his heart? Are we focused on the same things that he's focused on? What was its purpose in coming anyway? What was the main thing? Why did the king of all glory take on humanity, become a baby that we just celebrated, walk around on earth in human form? Why go through all that? What was the real number one main purpose for that? Did you think it would be important to know that? I think it would be does my reflect what he saw? Does my life reflect what he saw? What's the main thing? Well, I really don't have any answers, so we'll close in prayer now. (laughs) I mean, that's a big question, isn't it? What's the main thing? But so often I think that God, when he inspired the writers to write, they wrote enough for those who want to know what the main thing is that they can see it. And they can see what he saw. If you really want to know, it's there. If you want to know the truth, it's there. Seek the truth, it's there. And I think it's important for us as a church, as we keep... Being here and growing and that we too, as a body of believers, know what is the main thing. So the first two chapters of Mark is what we're going to kind of run through right now. We're going to end with this segment here and it'll be pretty quick. It's not real long. But the clues are there in the first couple chapters if we want to see it. Do you know what happens? We bring our childhood and lifelong of presuppositions and ideas and baggage and mountain theology from down south or wherever it was we were raised no no sorry I didn't we have someone from down south here today. I shouldn't have said that. I get in more trouble. said
0: from Michigan.
1: Oh Michigan, good, that's good. There's no bad theology up north. We know that. (laughs) But we bring it all to the... So when we look at the text, when we're reading the text, what is it that we see? We see the text saying what we think we've been taught all of our lives. So how do you know the things that you believe are true? You say they're true. Are they true? How do we really know that? Isn't that a constant challenge for every one of us? Do we see what Jesus sees? So let's go to John chapter 1 for a minute. Mark 1, oh, not John. John baptized Mark one eleven. 11. There we go. It's going to get worse with age, folks. Just hang on. But it, when, when John baptized Jesus, there was a, a voice from heaven, and it said, this is my beloved Son. I am pleased with Him. The main thing here is Jesus, isn't it? When God the Father says, I am pleased with him, should we focus on the baptizer? Should we focus on the Pharisees? Should we focus on anybody else? Who's the main thing? The main person. In Colossians, Paul said, the fullness of the Godhead was manifest in bodily form in Christ Jesus. And he is the head over all the church. There's no other name. He's it. This is him. And so you go to verse 14, well, no, verse 12, and Jesus is tempted and he goes off into the wilderness. See that immediately? Mark uses that word some 40 times in this book. I mean, it, it's, it's his word. He is a man of action. Things are happening. The king is in the room and immediately stuff is happening. When Jesus is around, it's happening. No sooner is he baptized than a voice comes from heaven, and immediately he's gone out into the desert to pray, spend time with his father, and who shows up? The dark side. And the temptation goes on. Next thing that happens, verse 14 John went to prison, Jesus went to preaching. What did John say? He must increase, I must decrease. He's the one. John went to prison, and Jesus went to preaching. What was he talking about? What was he preaching from the text? The what? Gospel, Gospel, the good news. The good news. Does anybody at this point in Mark's gospel know what the good news is? Probably because they, but he wrote it after the death, burial, and resurrection. But at the time Jesus started to preach and he said good news, these people didn't have a clue what he was talking about. They should have from the Old Testament, the Jewish people anyway. He said the time is now. The time is now. The kingdom is at hand. Because why? Because the king is here. That's why the king is here. And change your mind about the way you're thinking. Because the way you've been thinking hasn't been real good. So whatever you learned as a child, and ever since then, stop it. And start changing your worldview into what is in line with what Jesus sees and what Jesus thinks. Repent. That's what that word means. Metanoia. Change the way you think about things. And as a result, a course is going to be changed as well. And do what? Believe the good news. So far, the main thing has been Jesus preaching good news. Sound right? Okay, let's go on. Let's build some more. So he wanders off, and I think we get to like Mark 16, or chapter 1, verse 16, and he's around the Sea of Galilee, and he sees these two guys are out in their boat, Peter and Andrew, says, Yo, follow me. I'll make you a fisher of men. And immediately, they these they, they, Okay. It's kind of odd, isn't it? We get a little more detail in the other Gospels that Andrew had hung out with John the Baptist a bit. But nonetheless, in Mark, it's like, immediately, they just left their boat, their nets, and everything walked off. And in the next verse, it goes on, and it says, Not yet, but I'll, I'll wait. we're still here with... He gets, uh, who is it? Yeah, verse 19. Is that the next one, Bryce? They go to that. Anyway, he goes and he finds James and John. He immediately calls them. And they, they say, hey, okay. And they leave their father Zebedee and they just go with him. They follow him. So far, all Jesus has done is walk around and talk about the good news that's coming. John the Baptist is now in prison. And Jesus is out there, and He has four guys following Him. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. That's it. What happens next? We get to verse 21. They went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath... Now this ain't the Sabbath, but how many of you immediately go to church every Sunday? I just thought I'd throw that little dig in there. Sorry, no, I'm not. <laughs> now, see, immediately. I mean, it was Sabbath, and that's what Jesus did. He was going to synagogue, so he went to. He's in Capernaum. He goes to synagogue immediately, and what did he do when he was there? He taught. So far, he's preaching and teaching good news. Time has come. Kingdom's here. Repent. Believe the gospel. And they were astonished at his teaching. He taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. Now the scribes are a group of people, they're kind of like a modern day copy machine. I mean, their job was rewriting the text and making sure every jot and tittle and every word and It was all correct. It had to be right, you know. Well, as a result of that, they were constantly in the Word, the Old Testament. And they were constantly aware of the law and what was written and the prophets. So if you needed to know anything, you'd go and ask a scribe, because they would most likely even know more than the Pharisees or the high priests even. And the scribes are pretty important people in the community. Within the Sanhedrin, the scribes quite often were the ones who did the main body of judging because they knew the book so well. And so the scribes who know the book don't seem to have the ability to speak on the subject with the kind of authority that Jesus had, so much so that the scribes said, Whoa, did you hear what he just said? And not so much what he said, but how he said it, and with such passion and belief and strength. He said, man, we just can't believe this. It's just amazing to him. So while he was in the synagogue, though, in verse 24, there's a demon in the place. And he cries out, and he says, what have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the holy one of God. And so the demons begin to testify because they know who he is. They've had a long term relationship with Jesus Christ. They know who he is. He says, Y'all boys, just be quiet and come out. And they're out. The demons are testifying. Next thing that happened in verse 29 is they go to a house that's not too far away. And uh, happens to be Peter's house, Simon's house. Simon and Andrew live there. I don't know, is it a big house, little house? I don't know. We don't really know. I think it's pretty big just because of all the stuff that goes on there. It's mentioned a few more times. Well, Peter's wife's mother, which would be the mother-in-law, was sick and uh, not doing well. Jesus went in, healed her and she's up and running again, serving right away. immediately. she's back back at it, serving in the house. So that went on. Then uh, for the rest of the chapter, he pretty much travels around Galilee, healing people, preaching, teaching, casting out demons and all kinds of other things. And you get like one thirty-five. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, place and there he prayed. He's been preaching, he's been praying, and he's been teaching. He's been talking to people, caring for people, showing compassion to people, trying to help relieve the demonic oppression and healing them. Well, Simon couldn't find him, so he looked all over in verse 36, 37. He said, hey, everyone's looking for you. Everybody is looking for Jesus. Do you have that feeling today? Everybody's looking for Jesus. Is that what, I mean, in our culture, is everybody out there sort of, where'd Jesus go, you know? He doesn't get that good a press anymore for some reason, but look what he said. He said, uh, yeah, let's just go to the next town, for I came here to heal people and cast out demons. Is that what it says? No. But isn't that part of it? Isn't that what he's been doing? So the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And according to what Jesus just said here, because for this purpose, what do you think the main thing is? It's time. The kingdom's at hand. Repent. Believe the gospel is the main thing. The preaching and the teaching of the Word of God is the main thing. I didn't make it up. That's what the text says. So he's saying healing's not important. You've heard me say that. Yeah, I've used that line a lot. I hope by now you believe me, that I believe that God has the ability to heal anybody, anywhere, anytime He wants to. And I'm not going to say don't do it. But for me, the main thing is the main thing. We need to preach Christ and let God be God. Let God do what He has to do, and then we'll just give thanks and give glory to Him. Because people can actually get healed of something, with or without God, and die and still lose their soul in a lost eternity because they've never come to the place of believing faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, death, burial, resurrection. So we have to keep the main thing before us as a church. And going into the new year, we need to see it the way Jesus sees it. Was he concerned about the sick people? Sure, he was. Um, Did Jesus heal everybody that he met? I don't know. Did he heal everybody that he could have healed? Probably not, because I think he could have healed everybody anywhere, at any time, all over the whole world. I just don't believe that happened. So what was the healing all about then? Why was it going on in the first place? What role does it play in the preaching and the teaching and the praying and all of that? What, what part does it play even today in modern Christianity? I mean, last week we had a little prayer meeting, and we know that people, because of this church, is praying for them. We know that people have recovered from illness. And I think every one of us here would like to believe that everybody will. I can't even say it. But Lane is very sad. Lane is very sick. I had lunch with him yesterday. He's lost 22 pounds in a week. But the main thing is that Lane believes that Jesus is his Savior. Lane will be healed for good and forever. It's just a fact. We'd all like to see it on this side, but there isn't necessarily a a promise to us for that. Jesus has said, Whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. Whoever believes will not perish. Whoever has a son has life. But life is eternal, and everyone that Jesus healed, folks, is now dead. And they may not have all come to faith. That was harder than I thought it was going to be. Sorry. Anybody here love Lane? (laughs) And... I had a hard time eating lunch with him yesterday. (sighs) Anyway, for this reason I came. And he was preaching in the synagogues throughout Galilee. Isn't it odd? What were all the demons doing in the synagogue? Anybody ever ask that question? He went to synagogues casting out demons. I'm saying lord come to the church in America. Let's try some of that around. Would that be the same? Maybe. Now I not to see my notes anymore. Here's one, Mark 144. Sorry. that it? Yeah, let's see. So here's what happened. There was this leper, and this leper, he had leprosy. You know, leprosy is kind of like this flesh-eating disease that kills your nerve endings, so you can't really feel that you have the problem. You can see the results of it, but it's it's uglier than sin. Actually, it's a metaphor for the ugliness of sin. You don't always feel it, but it's really ugly. And Jesus healed this guy and he said, Look, I want you, uh, don't say anything to anyone. Just go to the priest and make an offering according to Moses' law so that the priest will be testified to, so that the priest will know that the Messiah has come, so that the priest we'll begin to see. And this is where I often get this idea that the thousands of people that Jesus did heal, and of those, the ones who obeyed the Scripture and went to the priests for, um, you know, their uh, sacrifice, should have been a testimony to the priests that Jesus was in the region, that the Messiah had come. They should have known. And... Uh, Well, unfortunately, he didn't do it. Verse 45 says, However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and spread the matter everywhere so that Jesus could no longer... He killed the ministry. Jesus couldn't work in that city anymore because all the people wanted was the healing stuff. <clears throat> so he went out into the deserted places, and he did what he could, where he could, when he could, with the people that were willing. <clears throat> if the fella had kept his faith in the Messiah and had obeyed the Messiah when the Messiah had done so much for him in the form of healing maybe he would have come to the knowledge of saving faith, too. It doesn't sound to me like he had any real faith. Hebrews tells us this, that the spoken word was confirmed to us by those who heard Jesus talking about it through signs and wonders. That's the purpose of the miracles. It was to confirm the spoken word. What the Lord had spoken, that's what was important. It's what people needed to hear. They need to understand that the sins are going to be forgiven by the death, burial, and resurrection of the Messiah, of their Savior. That was the main thing. The signs and the wonders were the effort of the Holy Spirit of God confirming and validating the things that the Lord Jesus was saying when He was here on earth. And people like Mark, perhaps, and Peter, and James, and John, and Andrew, they all heard Him. And so when they started preaching, they had some con- confirming signs as well. And the preaching of that gospel was confirmed because people were being helped significantly because what was being taught was the death the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you read the first four sermons Peter ever ever preached in the book of Acts, they were all about that. And Peter displayed by the grace of God and the hand of God signs and wonders as well to confirm the things that he was doing. What's all that about? If we as a church let God do His part and We do our part, the preaching and the teaching part. We just let God do the miraculous. He can handle that, and He knows who, when, and where, and why. Stop worrying about all of that. Just love the Lord Jesus. Put your faith in Him. Don't worry about it. Which gets us to Mark chapter 2. Again, He went into Capernaum. Back to the house. What house? Peter's house, no doubt. Immediately, many together gathered together. Because the king is in the house, here come the people. I think it's somewhat true if people were to see the transformed lives and the changes and really start to have a hunger and a desire to be like, know like, know what's going on in the heart. Why are you people all so good? There would be some interest. Why? Because the Holy Spirit of God is not dead. And He's still at work. And if we were focused on the main thing, I think that the Holy Spirit of God could also encourage and bless a ministry with people coming to know and trust the Lord. And who knows, people might even get healed in the process. Praise God for that, if it works out. Well, what was he doing? Well, he was in a building. He was in a house, a structure, a building, bricks and mortar type establishment. And what was he doing in there? He was preaching. Preaching out loud. Talking. Teaching. There's a lot of people who think that there shouldn't be a church building. We've had people accuse us of that, of simply buying a building for whatever reason. And okay, well, go through the New Testament, see how many buildings are being used. There's a bunch of them between synagogues and schools and houses and whatever else. There are a lot of them, so get over that right away. And get over the preaching. There's a lot of different ways to do We do it different on Wednesday than we do it on Sunday. But nonetheless, there's room for preaching and teaching. And it's about the preaching and the teaching. What's the subject matter? What's the main thing of the subject matter? There was only one Savior. That's the main thing. So the five showed up, not those lousy news guys on Fox, but another group. And there's four of them, and they're carrying this guy on a bed. He's paralyzed. It's in verse 3. And so they get him over to verse 4, and they say, we can't get in. We're doing the best we can, Lord, to get him in. We want to get him in, but we can't get him. So they get up there and they start ripping the roof apart. These people are serious about getting their friend in front of the Lord Jesus. And it says at the beginning of verse 5 that Jesus saw their faith. That's what he saw. And that's where we come in. Because that's all that we can do. We can do everything we know how to do. We can share everything we know to share. We can even rip the roof off a few buildings if we have to. But there's only so much that any of us can do to bring someone to Jesus. We talked about that Wednesday night a little bit too. There's only so much any of us can do. And sometimes we do it for all the wrong reasons even. But nonetheless, they got him in there, and Jesus looks at the guy and he said, "Son." Your sins are forgiven. So, now let me ask you this. Do you think it met the expectations of the five guys? No, because they didn't have any fries. That was the problem. Five guys and fries? Come on. (laughs) I love that place. It's one of the best burgers. If you go there to get a hamburger... You're going to get a really good hamburger. It's going to meet your expectations for a hamburger. They don't pay me to run this commercial, by the way. I'm just telling you. It's a good place. But these five, do you think their expectations were met? Some of you are brave enough to shake your head no, but not say it out loud. I don't think so either. I think they were looking for healing, just like all the rest of them were looking for healing. Because they were looking for the wrong stuff. What did Jesus give him? He called him son, and he forgave his sins. What Jesus gave them was the main thing that they needed. The main thing the guy needed was sonship in the kingdom of God. What he needed was a father in heaven. What he needed was his sins forgiven. That's what Jesus gave him because of his faith. At this point in the storyline, none of these people know anything about the death, burial, and resurrection. They're hoping the Messiah is coming, and they're hoping Jesus is it. And so Jesus is working to build this idea of faith, preaching and teaching. The time is now. The kingdom's at hand. The king is in the house. You know, repent. Repent get a different world view, change the way you think, and start to develop a faith in Christ. So, verse 6, some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoned in their hearts. There we have a whole bunch of, uh, what do you call those? Uh, It's the philosophy of realism, that all good things begin with man, and all the answers, the particulars to the universal problems are all found within the human heart. But these guys still believe in God a little bit, because in the next verse it says, well, who can forgive sins? Man can't do that. But they're looking in their own hearts trying to solve this riddle, this problem. Is man... Can man forgive sins? Only God can forgive... Something's got to come from without, outside of who we are, to deliver us from the man thing, from the redness that we talked about Christmas Eve. They're reasoning in their hearts... Nothing wrong with reasoning, is there? Is reasoning still valid? Rationality is still valid in America. That's good. But what people are putting up for logical conclusions, not so good. The hope that they have in bad logic is doing us a lot of damage in our nation. There's a lot of it that's going on. Let me get to verse 7, what's he say? Yeah, why does man speak this blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So at least they still were thinking that there is a God and he must be the one that can forgive sins. Verse 8 immediately Jesus perceived that they were uh, looking for answers in themselves, in and among themselves. So he said to them, uh, why do you reason these things in your heart? You really think you're going to find an answer there? Why don't you look in the Old Testament and put some Scripture to it, and then because it's all there. What's happening is in the book. These people, these scribes, should have known what was happening. Why do you reason these things in your heart? I was thinking that, you know, as a witnessing tool, if we're going to do a lot of inviting this year, maybe we should ask people like that. Say, like, "What do you think about sin? Uh, is there e? Uh, if there were such a thing as sin, who's it really harming? What do you think? Uh, who do you think can forgive sin? And wouldn't you like to know all about your sins being forgiven? You know, things like that, just." Try to get into a discussion. like, What is sin? Why does it matter? Because apparently it causes people to start to look into their own hearts. But if we can get them to look in their own hearts for a long enough period of time to rationally come to the conclusion there's nothing in there that will help. That's why the suicide rate is going up all the time in our nation. Because people are without hope anymore. It's going away. Then Jesus said to them at this point, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? Well, it would be easier just to say your sins forgiven, wouldn't it? How do you know that they're forgiven? Well, just so that you'll know, he says in the next verse, just so you'll know, I have the power to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, rise, walk, take your bed, go on home. Go on. And so he picked up his bed, says in the next verse, and he walked out before them all. He's healed. But his sins are also forgiven, and he's now a son. So I think in the first two chapters we have this story, this series of stories that lays out for us what's really important as a church. So if we're going to go out and start to invite other people, whether it's to church or to a dinner or to a whatever, a tea, it ought to be with this view that we want to preach and teach the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of sins, the death and the burial of resurrection of Jesus Christ has taken away all my sins and that I can trust Him for all eternity. Whether my legs are the same length, whether I die of cancer or something else, it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. And so if we put the focus on things that don't matter, how will folks ever hear about Christ, How will anyone ever get saved if we focus on secondary issues? And believe me when I say it, I don't think the cancer that is killing friends of ours is a secondary issue. It's a very important thing. It would be worse if we let our friends die without having spoken to them about the love of God that would be the most cruel thing we could ever do so i i can't preach as good i can doesn't matter tell them what you know tell them what you've seen talk to them about christ bring someone else who can just we need to invite people in so i think we got one more picture and then come on up you guys what do we see do we see what jesus sees You know, he's looking for faith. He even said it one time, he says, When the Son of Man returns, will he find believers? Will he find faith on the earth? Well, if it was all up to him to give it, it's a ridiculous question, isn't it? If it's strictly up to Jesus to grant everybody faith, that would be a really dumb question for him to ask. There's something about the church And Paul says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the gospel and all of that. And if someone doesn't go, if someone isn't sent, no one's going to hear the message. If we do not live it and speak it and talk it when we're in the marketplace, how are they ever going to hear? So our challenge for the new year is just that, the best we know how, to be inviting. Because Jesus loves these people a lot.
2: God is
1: Just ask You to be with us as we go out, and to help us be mindful of those around us who are hurting, they're in pain, they're suffering, their lives have issues, and so do we. But Lord, help us to show the love and the grace. Help us to see them as You would see them. And above all, we just pray for Lane tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.